0: Today's reading is Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid ate each half over the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these places. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So ends
1: our reading for today. Well, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do that, the title of my message this morning is God's Promise of Covenant. With Abraham, God's promise of covenant with Abraham. And as I first began studying this text, what soon came to my mind after I got through some of the Kenizzites and Perizzites and Jebusites and all the ites, and what was going on with the smoking pot, etc. But as I thought through the material in this chapter, I thought about guarantees and warranties, Guarantees and warranties. And I don't know what you think about when you think about guarantees and warranties, but I must confess I have mixed emotions. One side of me wants to say, oh, wow, there is a warranty. Great, worry free product. No more worries. But then the other side of me says, hmm, I've had some previous experiences and I've had hassles with some of the warranties. It conjures up, if you will, a bit of cynicism. Will they do what they really said that they would do? And I come to the end and I realize that to believe a guarantee is really to exercise faith and trust in the one backing the promise. Well, in our chapter, God makes some amazing promises to Abraham. And then he asks him to believe. He makes some amazing promises. Now, to set context for chapter 15, let me say a couple points. First, I could preach easily four sermons out of this chapter, or I could just go on for four hours. And so, not going to do that. But there's just a lot in this chapter. And the more that I researched, the deeper it got. And at a certain point, I realized I'm in some deep theology. And it was exciting. Secondly, as you look at the life of Abraham, you see that he was a man who wholly trusted God in the midst of massive promises that came from God. They were supernatural promises. They would require faith to believe. And he regularly passed the test because he trusted the word of God. He didn't trust perfectly, but he trusted the promises of God. This chapter has given me a new appreciation for the promises of God. It's also given me a new appreciation for the life and faith of Abraham. I like the way one author summarizes the major events of Abram's life. He said this. He said, God said to Abraham, I'm going to send you out. Abraham said, where? God said, I'll tell you later. Just go. God said to Abraham, I'll give you a land. Abram said, where? God said, I'll tell you later, just wander. God said, I'll give you a child. Abram said, how? God says, I'll tell you later, just wait. And finally, God sends a child, and God says, kill your child. Abram says, why? God says, I'll tell you later. Walk up the mountain, take the knife and the fire and the wood in all the cases Abram waited patiently and he trusted the promises of God and finally lest we forget remember the promises in detail that God gave to Abram we've looked at some of these back in chapter 12 God told Abram go from your country I will make of you a great nation I will bless you I will make your name great I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. In you, all the families, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Quite a promise. From chapter 13 of Genesis, God says, lift up your eyes, look around you. I'll give you all the land that you see. I'll make your offspring so numerous like the dust of the of the earth the dust of the earth that's how i'm going to make your offspring quite a promise in a few weeks we'll get to chapter 17 and 17 will say i will make you exceedingly fruitful i will make you into nations and from you will come kings god gave massive great promises to abraham and to these great promises god asks God, how will I know? How will I know? How will I know that you will do what you say? So in chapter 15, God gives the answer. He gives the guarantee. He gives the sworn statement, or if you will, he gives the legal affidavit that he would in fact do what he said that he promised. If you've not seen it, if you haven't guessed it, the word before us that we need to put up in neon lights is covenant. Covenant. And so I think one of the main themes of this chapter, and I hope that we see it, is this, that trusting God's covenant promises bring great rewards. Trusting God's covenant promises bring great rewards. My sermon this morning has three points. It's got a point of application. And then I'd like us to end by celebrating the Lord's Supper together of which I hope you will see the significance. Three points. First, I would like to talk about God's promises, that God promises supernatural blessing. Secondly, that God gives reward for faith in his promises. And thirdly, that God's covenant promises are guaranteed. God promises supernatural blessing. He gives reward for faith in his promises, and that his covenant promises are guaranteed. So point number one, God promises supernatural blessing. Verse 1 of 15 begins, after these things, after these things. It refers directly to the events of chapter 14. God comes to Abraham in a vision and declares, fear not, fear not. Typically in scripture, when the Lord appears or his messenger and says, fear not, it's because there's something to fear. And as a normal guy, semi-normal at least, I can imagine that Abraham had reason to fear. Remember back in chapter 14, Abraham went to battle against four kings, four big bad kings. He went, beat them up pretty good, rescued Lot, his nephew, his kinsman, took back all his possessions. He used 318 of his men against four king's armies. I do wonder what those kings thought about that. I do wonder if they were thinking about reprisal and payback. I can see why Abram might have feared. But God says to Abraham, fear not. And then he tells him why. God says, I am your shield and your reward. I am your shield, I am your reward. In this promise he's saying, I will be your protection. I will guard you, I will shield you and I will give you a reward for trusting me. But he also says, your reward will be great. God had promised to bless Abram. He had promised to make him great. He had promised to make him a great nation. He had promised that through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And Abram knew that. But he also knew, Abram also knew, that in order for that promise to take place, he had to have a son. To that point, Abram was still childless. And so Abram says to God, verse 3, how can these things be? You've given me no offspring. And in that culture, if you didn't have an offspring, the heir would become the chief servant of the house. So Abram talks about that. Abram said, verse 2, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. That's the way you're going to do it. Right, God? But God says, no. Eliezer's not to be And God doesn't just say no, he takes time to illustrate. Look at verse five, he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring, your offspring be like the stars. He took him outside. I love the illustration. I love the degree to which God takes time and effort to illustrate his point to Abram. He took him outside. I do wonder how he did that. How did he lead him outside? How he took him outside? I also wonder what Abram saw. What did he see when he looked up? I've had the privilege to travel to South America, and at one time, I had time to go on a fishing trip with some other missionaries. And we went to a place that was about 15,000 feet in elevation. The air was just a bit thin, you could imagine. It was trouble breathing. But it was clear, a clear night. And one of the things that we liked to do at night was just to go outside, because at that elevation, when you go outside, The stars looked like clouds. It was amazing. They're like white clouds, just millions and millions of them. God said to Abraham, your descendants, your offspring will be like the stars. God made to Abram God-sized promises. God made to Abraham promises of supernatural blessing. And he called Abram to believe. God's side promises, he called Abram to believe. Friends, never dismiss the size of the promise that God calls us to believe. Never dismiss it. Our ability to believe is not based upon the size of the promise or our ability The ability for us to believe is the size of the promise giver. God gives God-sized promises. Our ability to believe is based upon his power. God made Abraham God-sized promise of supernatural blessing, and he expected Abram to trust him. But notice, God doesn't tell him how he was going to do it. He doesn't tell him how he's going to fulfill his promises. He just tells him that he would. Likewise for us, there are promises. He tells us to believe. He tells us to trust him. He doesn't necessarily tell us how he's going to do it. Faith is not knowing how God's going to do it, but believing him in spite of how he's going to do it, believing him in spite of knowing how. In fact, interesting if you look back in verse 5, God points out the inability for Abraham to know how God would do it. I found this humorous. He says, in counting the stars, if you're able to number them, go ahead, try. Of course he can't number them. Yet, I think we, from time to time, ask God how you're going to do it. As if, if he told us, we would understand. I also think that we want to know how so often before we are ready to believe. The point here is that God made God-sized promises and he expected Abram to believe, not knowing how God would do it, but that he would. Friends, remember what faith is. Faith is believing when you don't see the answer. Faith is believing when you don't see the promise fulfilled. One of the greatest things that ever helped me about faith is faith which is seen is not faith, it's sight. And we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. It's not easy, but the God that we serve is a God that is higher than our sight, and it requires faith to follow him. So to recap, God's promises are promises of supernatural blessing, and he calls Abram to believe. Point number two, God gives reward for his promises. Verse six says that he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness Abram believed the Lord the verb there is that he is continuously believing the Lord Abram when he heard the Lord he believed the Lord in exchange for his faith we are told that God counts Abram righteous Abram believed God long before he ever had the answer in many cases Or in some cases, he never received the answer. So in addition to the reward of lands and a great name and kings coming from his line and God's blessing, God credits Abram with righteousness. Now, be careful not to gloss over verse 6. Verse 6 says, God counted him righteous. Do you know verse 6 is the focus of much of the theology of the New Testament. It certainly is at the heart of Romans. and It's the heart in many ways of the middle of Hebrews. And this morning as I was reading in Galatians. Verse 6, he counted him righteous because he believed God. Counting him righteous means right standing With God, and in this case, right standing with a holy God. All sins forgiven, all God's inheritance, the wealth of heaven given to Him. The book of Ephesians says, The riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. God counted Abram righteous. Also keep in mind that this declaration of righteousness took place 200 years before the law was ever given. So the righteousness of God was never and is never awarded on the basis of performance or the works of the law. The works of the law can never make one righteous. It was always a reward for faith. It's always a reward for faith, faith in the promises of God. It is by grace. Friends, Abram was given a great reward for faith, great reward, understatement. And so are all those who put their faith in God. Praise God. Amen? accounted righteous, because we put our faith in God. Moving on, verse seven. God speaks of yet another promise. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you the land to possess. But he said again, Lord, how shall I possess it? So there it is, Abraham again, asking how he would know. So just like in verse two, Abraham asks God, how will I know? How will I know that you will do what you say you will do? Now, as an aside, I want to point out something which I think is important to a life of faith. First of all, it's okay to ask God. Abram asked God about the promise when he didn't understand. It's okay to ask God about promises that you don't understand, to inquire how he plans to fulfill them. Abram did it, the disciples did it. Secondly, God responded to Abram's question. He didn't scold him, he didn't castigate him. He answered him. In fact, he illustrates the answer, even uses as they were a demo. Ask the disciples how many demos Jesus used. When you have questions about God or his ways or his promises, take your questions to God. Take your questions to God. Friends, God is still speaking. He's still speaking today. These words are not dead. In fact, they are alive. They are alive, God is still speaking. I once did a demo at a teen group and I had the knowledge, well, I guess I didn't ask permission of the person, but I took my son's, or my daughter's play snake and then I took my son's real snake and I took them to the person and they knew that they were going to do something and I pulled out the play snake and I held it there, and I said, could you hold this, please, to this young girl at teen group? And she said, yeah, I'm glad to do that, and I'm teaching in front of everybody. And I said, I have something else for I want you to hold, and I pulled out the live snake. And, of course, she freaked out. Her mom had given me permission, but she freaked out. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> but the difference was that one was alive. Friends, this word is alive, and God continues to speak. He has made great promises. If you don't understand or you have questions, ask him. Go to his word. Wait for his answer. He'll answer in his time. God promises supernatural blessing. He gives reward for faith in his promises. And thirdly, God's covenant promises are guaranteed. In response to Abraham's question about how would he know that God would keep his word, God does something very unusual. God does something unusual. It's unusual to us, but I have to admit it wasn't unusual to Abram. So look at verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. To us, this might seem odd. To Abram, it wasn't. It was normal. Abram knew what God was doing. He knew these animals were brought for some form of sacrifice or ceremony. And as it turns out in verse 18, it tells us that God was making a covenant. God was making a covenant. The proper terminology of this is God was cutting a covenant. Not cutting a deal. Cutting a covenant. Okay? With Abram. So, little contrast. In contrast to our time and culture. When we make a contract, let's say a marriage contract, there's a process. If you're married, you had to publicly declare your willingness to enter into marriage. But that declaration was not legally binding. You had to also sign a marriage certificate. Once you sign, then it's binding. But in Abram's day, they did not sign contracts. Their binding agreements were not written, they were spoken. It was acted out. It was an oral culture, so they acted out the contract. And in Abraham's culture, to make a seal of the covenant, they would act out the consequence if one of them did not keep their side of the covenant. So, in the type of covenant that we have here in Genesis 15, the parties entering the covenant would lay the cut animals side by side. Then both parties, say two kings or their servants, would walk through the halves of the slain animals. And that was a declaration. It was a declaration to say, if I do not keep up my end of the covenant, may what happened to these animals be what happens to me. So in essence, may my body, if I don't keep up my end of the contract, Be cut and mutilated if I break my vow and if I don't keep my word. And I've heard some say that that's the old way is probably a better way of doing contracts. wonder why. So Abraham understood this. He prepared the animals, cut them in half, except for the birds, and he laid them out. And then he waited. And as he waited, something came over him. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. From the Hebrew, it is uncertain whether this was a dream as from sleep or a vision or a very debilitating dread that overcame him. From the Hebrew, it could be a debilitating state that you could be in when you receive some Horrible, horrible news. The scripture says it was asleep, And the Lord, verse 13, said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They will be servants. They will be afflicted 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. In essence, they will be slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. I still, even in the midst of about what's going to happen to them, promise to bring them back. God tells Abram, your offspring is going to have 400 years of turbulent time. And yet, I will be faithful. After 400 years, I will come to their rescue. They'll be released. After that, What God does to illustrate the binding nature of his contract is nothing short of amazing. Nothing short of amazing. Stay with me. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your offspring, I give this land. The smoking pot and the flaming torch are agreed to represent the presence of God. Remember the pillar and the cloud in Exodus? Remember Mount Sinai, the flame of fire, smoke? It says here that God walked through the pieces. Folks, it's paramount that we understand the theological significance of what is being said here. It is paramount. God walked through the pieces. God is declaring in this covenant that he vows at the risk, he vows at the risk. of his own death and mutilation and dismemberment to keep his word and to bless Abram and his descendants. He makes a vow. God is saying by this covenant promise that if I fail to keep my word, as if God could, but he's saying if I fail to keep my word, to prosper and bless. May I cease to be. May my immutability become mutable. May my unlimitless or limitlessness become limited. May my immortality become mortal. May my my perfection become imperfection. May I cease to be God. He's swearing a covenant oath by something above which he could not swear higher than. He swears by his own name and his own self, his own character. The truth is God cannot lie. God cannot cease to be. By definition, he must be. Therefore, he cannot fail But to keep his promises. God is making an amazing covenant oath. No wonder the Apostle Paul just went off on that. But, folks, if that is not enough, look again in verse 17. Look who passed through the pieces. 17 says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. It was not Abram and God. Now, did the author just forget? Whoops, forgot a small thing, forgot to put Abraham through that. No. God was making a clear declaration. God was making the covenant For both of them. God was making the covenant for God and Abram. Which is to say, Abram, if I do not keep up my end of the bargain, may I be mutilated. But Abram, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, may I be mutilated. In essence, he's saying, I will guarantee that you keep up your end of the bargain. How amazing is that? but friends that's the gospel that's the gospel it's not because of what I do it's because of what he has done amen that's why we rejoice to sing in Christ alone my righteousness is him alone how amazing! How amazing! That's the calling. That's the promise. Our salvation depends wholly upon the grace and work of God alone. The help and grace and strength to live a life of faith comes from God alone. We're completely dependent upon Him. In fact, the faith to believe Him comes as a gift. We don't somehow conjure that up. That's a gift. That's something that's given to us. The gift of faith to believe, the strength to believe, the promise to believe, it's a good message. It's great news. It's the gospel. Our responsibility as believers is to respond. Our responsibility is to respond to exercise the faith that's been given us. Friends, God has given amazing promises. He's given and gives rewards for faith in his promise. And he guarantees his promise. And we, like Abram, are called in faith to follow and to believe. So this morning, where are you in your trusting and believing God? Where is your faith? What are the enemy kings that are threatening you? What's the unfulfilled promise that you seek? What answer or promise do you await from him? Let's just be honest. In the age that we live, there are a limitless number of circumstances that require Faith on a daily basis. They bombard us, tempt us to fear, tempt us to worry, tempt us to wonder how am I going to make it? It was true for Abram, it's true for us. We can't forget we have a sure covenant promise. We have a sure covenant promise. Friends, The cure for worry is not the absence of problems, but trust in the God who can deal with the problems. Amen? The solution for combating fear is not removing the unknown, but exercising faith in the one who cares and holds our future. God's given us great and precious promise. Which ones are you holding on to which ones are you holding on to which ones would you call to mind right now I guess it's a little easier when you get to stand up when you have to stand up and preach and you go oh God help me how precious Isaiah 41 10 I will help you I will help you. Love that verse. Not a time I preach where it doesn't go through my mind. God, how am I supposed to do this? I will help you. I will help you. I will help you. Does it get clearer than that? No. (laughs) I will help you. God has made covenant promises for us. Question is, are you trusting him? Are you trusting in his promise? Are you trusting him? Wherever you are right now, are you trusting him? And if we're honest, at least I would have to admit from my own heart, I often trust myself, my own knowledge, ability, wisdom, finances, past experiences, friends, If we trust on those things, friends, we're on a dangerous and slippery slope. Don't know what you're trusting God for this morning. Don't know where you need to trust God. Let me use the words from Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 8 that shows the difference in trusting self versus trusting God. And he says this, Verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man, pretty strong words, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert, shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land, trusting in man, quite the dry, deathly. Result, verse seven. Contrast: Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. It's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. Does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Friends, we are called to trust the one and the only one who can keep his promise. If you this morning have found yourself drifting, if you, for example, have found your faith to be perhaps a bit numb, perhaps your faith is on autopilot, Perhaps you have found yourself just being um, in a cycle of battling trial with little joy, little peace, and little hope that God even hears. I have a pastoral encouragement for you. Repent. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Friends, if you find yourself and your faith perhaps is fleeting, Perhaps you're ready to walk away. Perhaps for you, your faith is like a flat tire, and I just don't go anymore. And you're ready to walk away from the car. It makes no sense to walk away. Change the tire, change your focus. God told Abraham lift up your eyes, look to the one who made the stars change your focus trust God he's the one who can make dry bones to live again he's the one who can make plants grow in a desert God is able if you're here this morning and you are not sure about all this God stuff and you wonder what it's all about I encourage you take your questions to God ask him I don't care if you believe in him or not. Go to him. Ask him. See if he doesn't answer you. I admonish you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever state, look to Christ. Because God has declared great and immutable, unchanging promises. God has promised unimaginable, unimaginable rewards for those who trust him. And God guarantees his promises. And God went to great lengths to prove it. He went to great lengths to demonstrate it. He demonstrated it uniquely to Abram. But folks, that wasn't the greatest demonstration of his covenant promise. And I think you know where I'm going with this as we transition to prepare for communion.